seat. Church, it is great to be with you today. Great to be with so many of you here uh, on campus, on our physical campus. Great to see so many of you joining us online on our digital campus. And man, you all sound good today as we sing. It's like you got like an extra hour of sleep or something. Like you just sound and look refreshed. You look good today, church. So any DIYers here, anyone who loves to do it yourself project, some of you all, yeah, yeah you can raise those hands high. It's, it's all right. It's, you know, well, my wife and I are that way. Over the years, we've lived in several different homes and each one we've taken on some DIY projects to try and improve the home. We've done everything from gutting basements and redoing it to replacing a roof. Most recently, We've been remodeling our kitchen, doing it on our own. It has been a long process. Praise God, it is almost done. (laughs) Those of you who do those kind of projects, you know what I'm talking about. But each stage at each house, as we've dug into things, we've always uncovered just under the surface some things that may not have been done quite right, may not have been quite up to standards. And you know, some things are like, oh, they did all those things good, but then you uncover like faulty, dangerous wiring or leaky plumbing. There was one time I was cutting into an exterior wall and I discovered some clothing. They had substituted old flannel shirts and jeans for insulation, which is pretty disconcerting when you cut into a wall and you discover clothes. I was really happy not to discover any person in those clothes, though that would have made for a much better sermon illustration. Like, it would have it's been a better story to tell. And, uh, you know, there for a moment I thought, oh, I found Jimmy Hoffa. Younger people, Google it. That'll make sense to you. Um, but sometimes we discover that things have just not been done quite to standards. You know, some some people don't quite follow the building codes. And if I'm being totally honest with you, sometimes I'm one of those people. Any of you who are like, you just aren't always a fan of the rules, the regulations, the codes, right? Sometimes, man, I'm in a room full of liars. I know more hands should have gone up with that one. Like you just, well, like there's those times where I just am like, no, I want to do it my way. And I'm convinced my way is the better way. But I know, I know those codes are there to protect me, to keep me from flooding the house or burning it down or blowing it up when I'm working on gas lines. But if I'm honest, truth be told, there are those times that I have cut corners. But usually those are the times when I end up making an even bigger mess. Those are the times when... I just make things much more difficult than they need to be. Well, we are in week 44 of Quest 52. Mark mentioned it earlier, Quest 52, the resource we're using as a supplement to help us get into the Bible, to help us engage God's word so that we can get to know Jesus better. And we're on chapter 44 this week. If you are new to us, newer to us, or you just haven't yet picked up a copy yet, I encourage you to stop by the stone wall after this service and pick up a discounted copy for yourself and a friend uh, because it's worth it. And it'll help you engage with the Bible in a meaningful way. And just jump right into chapter 44. You can go back at a later date and discover all those earlier chapters. But just jump right in with us. Well, the question for this week is this. How can I survive difficult days? Brent, have you ever had a difficult day? Ever had some of those difficult days cluster together? Yeah, me too. 
And I wonder if maybe, just maybe, some of those difficult days have been caused by our DIY mentality, our refusal to go God's way and instead to do life, to do spirituality, to do faith on our own, our own way. Could it be that a DIY lifestyle has actually caused life to become more difficult for us? The night before Jesus was crucified, his last night that he had, he was hanging out at a house with his buddies. They were sharing a meal together. And then Jesus knelt down. He washed their feet during this time and showed them that love is put in action, what love in action looks like by serving them. And then, then he said this to them. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. But trust in God, trust also in me. Comforting words from the Savior, aren't they? So there's more than enough room in my father's home. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I'm convinced that in that place, there is absolutely no need for any DIY improvements. Well, Jesus continued... He said, you know the way where I'm going, but Thomas, speaking up for the rest of the disciples, said, no, we don't. We don't have a clue. Like, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know how to get there? How can we know the way? Now, keep in mind, these guys were still trying to make sense of everything Jesus had said. He had told them that they were going back to Jerusalem so that he could be killed. They're like, why don't we stay away from Jerusalem? If they're going to kill you there... Let's go to Galilee. Let's go somewhere else. He's like, no, we got to go there so it'll be fulfilled. And Jesus has led them back. They're in this place. And they're trying to wrap their minds around their best friend, their leader, their mentor who's about to die. They haven't even made sense yet that he said he's coming back to life. They're just in this weird place trying to make sense of it all. So they're trying to wrap their minds around that. And so to that, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Truth. Truth is under fire these days. (laughs) Maybe better said, truth is just up for grabs these days. That anything goes, right? I mean, we're told everyone has their own truth. Live your truth. If you think it's true, go ahead, do that. If it feels good, do that. And you can live your truth. I'll live my truth. Our truth will be fine together and we'll all be good and believe whatever you want. Truth is personal. Truth is what you want it to be. The problem with that is that it's just not accurate. See, truth is not just some idea we get to concoct. No, truth is something that is living and complex, something animated and extraordinary. Truth is more than a set of ideas to know. It's a person to know. And a person to be followed. And that person has a name, and his name is Jesus. And that means truth is inherently relational. And that means for the church, even for the church, truth is bigger than just a set of ideas and beliefs, doctrines and theology of ideas that we align ourselves to, to believe something, right? Truth is a God to be known and experienced. Lists and formulas might be accurate. They'll just never be complete. They might be helpful, they're just not full. Because ultimately, truth is not just information to be understood. Truth is a person to know. 
I could describe my wife in a thousand ways. I could give you a whole bunch of facts and details about her. I could tell you her height, her weight, her hair color, her eye color. I could tell you what it sounds like when she's giggling. I can tell you what it sounds like when she's faking the laugh to make you feel good. I can tell you what it's like when she is actually laughing and has lost control in the laughter. I can tell you all kinds of quirky little cute things she does. Like she can flare her nostrils on demand. I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Um, I can tell you all these things and more about my wife. And while all those things might be true and accurate, they don't encompass the fullness, the beauty the blessing of what it is to know Jen. Well, you can add all that list of stuff up, but knowing about my wife doesn't even fit in the same category, doesn't even come close to actually knowing her. And I'd venture to say the same is true for you. Because all of us are people made in the image of God, made creatively by the creator, perfect with his blessing upon us. And simply to know about a person, simply to know a list of facts and believe something is true about a person is not even close to actually knowing that person. See, church, this is why we've been in this pursuit of Jesus this year, this Quest 52. It's to help us move from just the ideas and facts and information, just the Sunday school list to actually get to the place where we know Jesus. We don't want to just know about him. We don't want to just be Bible smart. We want to be connected relationally to the Savior. We want to move beyond just what he said and what he did to the heart behind it, to actually see the Savior's heart and why he did what he did, why he said what he did, to see his love for us, to connect with him, to move beyond the classroom and move to the kitchen table to sit and have conversation, to be in the presence of our maker. So let's be careful not to just limit faith to formulas and lists and things like that. See, God intends our faith to be way more than just informational. There's information in it, to be sure, but more than informational, God invites us to a faith that is inherently relational. See, Christianity is not just knowing that God is. It's not only knowing that God is creator and sustainer, knowing that God is everywhere present, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, It's not just knowing that he is redeemer and savior. Christianity is knowing God as. Do you see the difference? It's knowing God as your creator, as your savior, as your friend, as your leader, as your king, as your Lord, as your rescuer, as your friend. That's what Christianity is about. Not just acquiring information, but stepping into relationship with. And do-it-yourself religion, well, that misses all of that. It misses all the relationship. It, it ignores the building codes that the creator instilled in us and in the entirety of the universe. Things intended to protect us and provide for us, to provide joy and peace and hope, eternal life. And ultimately, when we go our own way, and all of us have, we've all gone our own way. Some of you are still going your own way, but I'm glad you're here today. 
But when we do that, we ignore what the Creator's done. We ignore what the Savior has done. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. When we go our way instead of his way, that's when we end up setting things on fire or flooding our lives. You know, every other religious system on the planet is based upon what we do. Taoism, Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, you name it, Judaism, atheism. I mean, atheism is a religion of no religion, right? But it's a religious system by definition. All those things, secular humanism, it's all based on us. It's all based, putting faith in us, what we do, what we think, what we say, how we are. Have I done good? Have I done the right things? Have I done enough good in the right things? Have I done enough of it? And ultimately, that means we have to DIY our faith. It's all based on what you've done, on what we've done. And that just doesn't work for us because we can't do enough. We can't rescue ourselves. That's a beautiful thing about Christianity. Is Christianity sets itself apart from every other religious system. Because Christianity is not based on what we do. It's not a DIY religion. Christianity is based on what Jesus has already done for us. To restore the broken relationship between us and God. Jesus took our punishment that we deserve. He took that broken relationship on himself to restore us back to right relationship with God. Something we could not do for ourselves, he's done for us. Did it at the cross. Did it when he resurrected from the grave. Did it as he ascended into heaven. So friend, let's make sure that we don't settle for a mere do-it-yourself religion. But instead, embrace what Jesus has already done for you, the life he desires to give to you. Jesus told them in that upper room setting, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The original language of the New Testament was Greek, and the Greeks had a pretty robust language. Our English sometimes fails us in translation. We have some pretty generic words to encompass a lot of things. Life is one of those. They had Three main words for life. They had more than that, but the three main ones, bios, bios, like where we get biology, the physical substantive portion of life, this growing element of life. Then there was psyche, psyche, like where we get psychology or psychiatry, but that doesn't quite capture the fullness of what the Greeks had in mind. It was more the personality, the person, the essence, the soul essence of the person, that kind of life. But then there's this zoe, And when Jesus speaks, he's speaking of Zoe, this full, eternal, divinely given, everlasting, complete life. It it encompasses the bios and the psyche, but goes so far beyond it. And Jesus says, that's what I came to give you. So what we see is that if we go our own way, if we live our own truth, we may end up with some enjoyable bios. We may understand a little bit more about our own personal psyche, but we will never enter into the zoe. In fact, if you want to have the zoe kind of life, you have to surrender your way and pursue Jesus as the only way because that's the only way to achieve zoe. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one 
can come to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through me. So let's just address the great misunderstanding of this verse. Because a lot of people will say, well, I can't follow Jesus because he's too exclusive. Because I believe there's all these other religions, all this, and they all lead to the same place. Problem is they don't lead to the same place. In fact, they all claim to lead to different places. They all contradict. And it doesn't even make sense why some people would leave one religion to go to another if, in fact, they all go to the same place. I mean, my life would contradict that statement. And Jesus says, I'm the only way. So, yes, he makes an exclusive claim. There's one way to heaven. There's one way to God. Jesus is it. It's a narrow path. He is the only way. But keep in mind, Jesus also gives the most inclusive invitation the world's ever seen. Let's not forget what he said back in John 3, 16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, the only son who is the only way to heaven. He gave him, why? Read this with me. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's read it again like we believe it. Why did God give us his son? So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone. Could there be a more inclusive term? (laughs) No. Like that's the most inclusive invitation you'll ever have. Jesus says, yeah, I'm the only way, but I'm offering that way to everyone and anyone who would believe in me, who would put their hope in me, who would put their trust in me. Listen, he is the only way because he's the only one who died for your sins. He's the only one who resurrected from the grave. I'm gonna put my stock in the guy who came back from the grave. who said, they're gonna kill me, but I'm coming back. And then he proved it true. He's got my vote. (laughs) No one else. Every other religious leader, still dead. He found the grave. Jesus resurrected. And so he proves his claims true. And he offers that to everyone. Here at Oklahoma Christian, we believe that that really is an invitation for everyone. That's why our mission is to help everyone find and follow Jesus. And all the time, we are doing all that we can to look for new ways to help more of the ones in our community and around the world, get connected to Jesus and find hope and life in him. And I'm excited to tell you today that one of those new things that we are offering is that during our 11 o'clock service, during this service from now moving forward, we have a real-time Spanish translation. For those who English is not their first primary language, but Spanish is, we have real-time Spanish translation for our friends. Yeah, that's worth an amen, right? grateful to the team that made that happen, that's working on that behind the scenes. We have translators back there translating. You you can pray for the people who try to translate my message because there's just always some fitzisms in it, you know. Um, Their their work is cut out for them. Like there's just some stuff that doesn't translate. But I love that we're doing that. Uh, A week or two ago, my wife and I were at a retreat with hundreds of other pastors and their wives. And we all had one thing in common. We believe Jesus is the only way. But it was the most inclusive group I think I've ever been part of in my life. There were pastors of all different ages, from young 20s into their nearly 80s. There were people from not just different generations, but different locations. Almost all 50 states, plus some areas beyond the U.S., other countries and other territories. 
There were all different ethnicities represented there. Every skin color you can imagine. There were men and women, young and old. They represented tons of different locations of rural and urban and suburban from mega, mega churches to many, many churches, right? I mean, lots of people, almost just a few people in their church. It was wild. And yet, in this radically diverse group of people, and we don't agree on all the secondary and tertiary details of the faith, but we all agree on this, that there is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who's existed for eternity past and will exist for eternity future. And that through the Son, we have life. And only through the Son who rescues us do we have life eternal. That God's word is inspired and authoritative. It is our word for life. That God exists in three persons, co-equal, different, but yet one. That God made everything, designed it, created it, and sustains it still for his good glory and our good pleasure. And that there will be a day when all this is wrapped up and God has made it all right once again. And the Holy Spirit is still working towards that end. We believed in that. And let me tell you, I wish you could have heard the singing and the praying as we gathered together. It was a glimpse of heaven. It was incredibly diverse and yet unified. So much difference, so many things that could have separated us and pulled us apart, but yet totally unified because that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the exclusive way, but he offers the most inclusive invitation. And friend, I'm convinced because I've seen it play true in my life and in many of your lives over the years, that when we follow Jesus as the only way, as the ultimate truth, And when we find the full Zoe life in him, we will decrease the number of our difficult days. That doesn't mean we won't have difficult days. Jesus says we'll still have difficult days. We'll still have problems. We'll still have trials. We'll still cough in microphones. (laughs) He says we'll still have those days that come. He says sometimes those days are going to come precisely because of our faith. Because Jesus says, listen, if, they, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. If the world persecutes and crucifies me, they're going to persecute you. Bad days will happen. And so for those difficult days that still remain, Jesus has given us another helper. He goes on to tell his friends in that upper room conversation. He says, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now this word advocate, it's an accurate translation from the Greek language. But we could also translate this word, it's from the word paraclete. And the word paraclete could also mean helper or comforter or counselor. And we get what paraclete means, this little prefix para. Like a paramedic is one who comes to help us when we're injured. A paratrooper is one to help us when we're in battle. The parachute helps us when we're falling. Hope I never need one of those. (laughs) The paraclete is our spiritual helper. He helps us get to know God. He helps us get to know Jesus. He helps us understand the Bible as we dig into it. He teaches us. He guides us. He leads us. He comforts us. He convicts us. He fills us. He draws us to Jesus. He is our spiritual helper. And Jesus went on to say of the paraclete, he said, and when he, the advocate, comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. 
The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me, Jesus said. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory, Jesus says, by telling you whatever he receives from me. That's who the Spirit is. That's what he does. He draws our attention to Jesus. He puts the spotlight on Jesus. He helps us focus on Jesus. He's like the shy member of the Trinity. He's never taken it all for himself. He's always directing attention from himself to the Savior, to Jesus. And he's always about substance of growing up in our faith. He's always about salvation, of helping people come to faith. He's never just about show and spectacle. That's not who the Spirit is, not according to God's Word. And the Bible teaches us that the Spirit works on us before we put our faith in Jesus. That as we are pursuing Jesus, the Spirit is like nudging us. He's kind of shoving us towards Jesus, helping us move towards him. But then once we put our trust in Jesus, once we put our hope in Jesus, Acts 2.38 tells us that when we are baptized into Jesus... The Spirit enters in. It says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us then. Some of you are like, whoa, what? And that's news to you. But don't be creeped out, right? And that's God living in you, the power of God accessible to you to help guide you, comfort you, lead you into brand new life. And so the Spirit works on us to lead us to Jesus. When we surrender to Jesus, he works in us to help us grow up into faith. And one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is that he comforts us. So how do we survive difficult days? When we lean into what the Spirit is doing, he desires to comfort us in our time of need. And friend, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know you're dealing with something. All of us are. Maybe it's loneliness, bitterness, woundedness. Anxiety, depression, financial woes, work woes, relationship issues. I don't know what your particular flavor of difficulty is right now. But I know that you've got some difficult days. And I know the Holy Spirit longs to comfort you. Longs to draw you into the loving arms of the Father. That's what he does. You know, sometimes the Spirit uses the stories of other people. This is why I love hearing people's testimonies. This is why I love sharing people's testimonies. This is when I meet people for coffee, for lunch, for whatever. One of the first questions I ask is, hey, tell me your story. Because I always find in somebody else's story some common ground of my own, of what God has done. And I always find courage from that. I always find encouragement from that. And I think... Others do as well. God uses our story. He uses us to speak truth into one another. And this is why in a, next week, in about 10 days, we're hosting Lisa Turkhurst here. Because this gal has endured some radically difficult days. But God has seen her through. The power of the Spirit has helped her make it through. And by sharing her story, she's sharing really God's story, how he's been at work in her life. And he's helping other people find hope and find healing in Jesus through her message. And listen, this is not an event just for women. Guys, I'll be there. You can go too. Tickets are selling out. You can get tickets right after this service at the stone wall as you exit. I encourage you to pick them up. And guys, you can join too. You can join with your wife, your daughter. It's going to be a good message. It's a message to encourage us. And I love her message that you're going to make it. 
But maybe you've had one of those days where you just weren't sure if you were going to make it. You ever had one of those days where you're so discouraged, where things are so difficult, you don't even have words to express. Like words fail to contain the pain of what you're going through. And you're just left in one of those moments where all you have are are crying and tears and weeping and groans and grunts and just, ah! And that's all you've got. You can't even put it to words. Well, I love that the Apostle Paul tells us that the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Isn't that beautiful? That the Holy Spirit speaks for us, prays for us, groans for us in language that God can comprehend. He speaks our pain on our behalf. He longs to comfort you. Well, the Spirit also convicts us of sin. When you begin following Jesus, when we have those moments, we we suddenly discover that some of the things we used to be okay with don't feel quite right anymore. You sit down to watch a movie with your mother-in-law and you're like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be watching these movies anymore. <laughs> like, Oh, this is awkward now, right? You, you, you have these things that happen in your life. And you're like, oh, maybe that word I used to say or that thing I used to do or the stuff I used to participate in. or the, And suddenly like the spirit is working in you to convict you and to prompt you. And, and you're, you're convicted that some of the things you used to enjoy are things that maybe now you need to discard and avoid. And you become okay with that because the spirit convicts us of sin and begins changing us from the inside. That's the spirit working on us to, to lead us, to guide us, to, to direct us in a new way of going, a, a sense of wrong and remorse and of guilt to lead us into a different way of life. The spirit begins working in us. Jesus says the spirit convicts us of sin and primarily the sin he's addressing is a sin of unbelief, of not believing in him. Because at that time of Jesus' time, there were a lot of people then, just like there are a lot of people now, who just can't quite get to the place of saying Jesus is the only way. Oh, sure, Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a moral man. had a lot of good things to say. I, I, I really like Jesus. I just can't quite get to the place where he's the only way to God. Where he's savior. He's good, he's a prophet, he's moral, he's good, but he's not quite. The spirit will convict us of righteousness. Because no matter what the world says, there is a right and there is a wrong. And no matter what we prefer, God is the standard and sets the standard of what's right and what's wrong. And when you take God out of the equation, of right and wrong, as many people were trying to do at Jesus' time, as many people are trying to do today. And when you remove God from the equation of what's right and what's wrong, and then we all go our own way, then there's no standard. And anything goes, everything goes. Promise when anything and everything goes, nothing works. Because at some point, what you believe and what I believe, you're going to come into conflict with each other. Your way and your truth come into conflict with my way and my truth. And if everything is okay, suddenly we see that's not okay because One of our things isn't okay with the other and all it does is it leads to more confusion and more division and more difficulty. I mean, that's the world we live in today, right? A world of inconsistency and brokenness. 
See, God is the standard of what's right. And God is the standard for righteousness and salvation. And because of that, the Spirit, he'll comfort us, he'll convict us, he'll also guide us. He leads us to go the right way. And sometimes, sometimes he'll nudge us. We'll, We'll sense like just this Spirit kind of, nudging us. We just have this sense inside of us of what we need to do. And we know it's the Holy Spirit because on our own, we would not do that thing. That sometimes the Spirit speaks to us in a way, like not like a Morgan Freeman narration. of If you had that, that's awesome. I'm jealous. Like God has never spoken to me that way, but maybe for you, I don't know. But you have this sense where you hear, right? Like you just know, like the words show up. The Spirit uses God's word to guide us, to teach us, to raise us, to nudge us. And by using his word, right? Like when we come to his word, we come with prayer. Prayer isn't just us talking to God. It's us inviting God to speak to us. It's us stilling ourselves in his presence to hear from him. Sometimes stilling ourselves as we read his word. Sometimes after that to say, okay, God, from your word, what does this mean? What what do I need to change? How do I need to apply this? What's the application of this? And sometimes later in the day, later in the week, maybe way down the road, we're confronted by temptation or we're confronted by opportunity to go this way or that way. We're not sure. And then the Spirit reminds us of God's Word, reminds us of a verse or a passage or a word, and we just know, oh, this is the way I'm to go. Sometimes the Spirit works through godly counsel of other believers, right? It's always easiest to hear the Spirit's voice, to sense his hand guiding us, to, to sense him prompting us when we are praying and reading the Bible and gathering with other Christians because in that community, God uses us to speak into one another to keep us from going off the rails to say, well, I believe this is the Spirit. We're like, there's no way that's the Spirit because that's your Spirit, man, <laughs> Right? And so if you're not connected in a small group, you're missing out. You need to get connected. It's one of the primary things God uses to steer our faith is the community of other believers. I love what the prophet Isaiah said hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the earth. He said, your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go. Walk in it either to the right or to the left. A few years ago, my wife and I, we bought a car that has lane assist, right? The the lane control assist. And it keeps you from like steering out of your lane when you don't intend to. It, it, It is a fantastic safety device. We still have family and friends back in Illinois. Most of them, it's five, five and a half hour trips. So there have been some times late at night, sometimes alone. I've been driving back from Illinois in that section south of Indianapolis, north of Louisville, 65. It's boring. It's just, you know, there's nothing there. It's dark. It's late at night. Start to doze. And then that lane control, like, the, you start to veer out of the lane. Anybody have this right? Your, your steering wheel stiffens, it beeps at you. Mine is like, get a cup of coffee, moron. You've been driving for four and a half hours. Stop the car, take a walk, whatever. Like it speaks to you, right? It does all these things. I'm like, whoa, my car is smarter than me. And it's great, right? It's a fantastic safety feature. But then there are those days when I'm just driving down the Snyder and it's middle of the day and I'm totally awake and it is fantastically annoying. Anyone, Right? Like, you, you want to change lanes, or sometimes you need to change in a hurry, and it's like fighting you, like, no, stay in this lane. I'm like, I'm just, I want to go my way, man. Come on, car, let's go. You know, like, I'm ready to, like, fight my car. Like, woo, you know, and it's beeping at me, like, stay in this lane, like, you know, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm going the other. So you know what I do? 
I do what I know some of you do. There's this old button. Boop. I turn it off. Take that, Subaru. So <clears throat> then I just go my way. I'm going to go wherever I want, car. Woo, right? Unfortunately, some of us do that with our faith, don't we? We have those moments where we know the Spirit is guiding us, prompting us, and we're fighting against him. We're trying to go a different lane, trying to go a different way. And the Spirit's like nudging us back, and we hear his voice calling to us. And we're just like, boop, turning it off. I, I don't know about you, but some of my most difficult days, some of my most intense moments of pain, some of my worst moments of suffering happened because I tuned out the Holy Spirit because I resisted and ignored his nudges, his prompting. So friends, how do we survive difficult days? It's certainly not by a do-it-yourself faith. But it is heeding Jesus' words. Do not let your heart be troubled. But trust in the Father and trust also in me, Jesus said. Allow the Spirit to comfort you, to convict you, to guide you. He'll help you avoid many difficult days and he'll see you through all the others that remain. Friends, in this moment, I'm gonna help guide us in a time of prayer. Some of you would just bow your head, close your eyes, and just pray this prayer on your own. Holy Spirit, I'm open to whatever you want to do in my life. Some of you, you just need the Spirit to comfort you. You are hurting and broken. And God longs to make his healing presence known to you. And maybe you don't even have words for your pain. And that's okay. Because the Spirit speaks for you. He prays for you. He groans for you. And words the Father can understand. So in this moment, just ask him to comfort you. To make his presence known to you. To make his peace known to you. To make his healing and his hope known to you. Ask the Spirit to convict you of any sin in your life that needs exposed just simply say, Spirit, I give you permission to bring to the surface any sin that needs changed. Because I know my sin is part of what's causing my difficulty, my pain. I want it to end. So Spirit, reveal to me what needs to change. And now ask the Spirit to guide you, to lead you on the right path where he would want you to go. Maybe you've been resisting him. Maybe he's been calling you into serving or life of deeper generosity or connection to others. Maybe you were here a couple weeks ago during baptism day and the spirit was nudging you and you just resisted. And so he's been nudging, he's been nagging you ever since. Or maybe you just missed that day, but he's been working on you this day. Whatever the spirit is saying to you, if he's inviting you to surrender to him for the first time or maybe for the first time fully, don't tune him out. 
Don't fight him. Don't try and change lanes, but simply allow him to direct your steps. And if you're ready to go all in with Jesus, you meet us at the next steps area after this service. But right now, you just simply say, Jesus, I'm yours. Lead me where you'd have me go. Give me the courage to follow you where you lead and surrender to his leading. Oh, Father God, we thank you that you love us enough to give us your son. Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much. You gave us your life and you gave us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the convictor, the guide. That you didn't leave us on our own. And Spirit, we thank you that you don't just work on us, but you work in us. You come and you dwell in us and you lead us and you guide us. You heal us, you comfort us. Spirit, give us courage to follow. Give us wisdom to tune into your voice and to follow where you would lead. And we pray that as we do, we would experience the fullness of the Zoe life you have for us and that you would get all the glory from our lives. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.